Happy 2023, we love to watch. Uh, this is Aaron of Aaron and Pete fame. 50% of the we love to watch hosting group. 50% of the contributions. I'll leave you, the listener, to decide that. But I'm here to announce uh, what our plans are here for 2023. Originally, we had a month that was starting in January, and I, and I posted something on our Facebook about this as well. But we are, uh, you know, 2022 was our sixth full year uh, in existence. We're going to hit our seventh year anniversary here in April. And we've been producing uh, more than weekly content uh, every single every single month since we started, we three hundred more than uh, close to three hundred fifty. We love to watch episodes, a bunch of sidecasts and things like that. And twenty candidly, as I said in the post, twenty twenty two was kind of the first year where uh, it got a little challenging to keep up with the pace in a way that was uh, adding stress to something that we have a ton of fun doing. Um, uh, mainly just. Uh, that we that we didn't want to uh, affect the overall longevity of the show because we love the show we love talking Pete, <laughs> Peter and I every week we love each other uh, in many different ways and uh, more importantly than that though we love our our listeners we love our guests and uh, we we wanted to make sure that we were f- uh, feeling like we could still continue to do this uh, for a long period of time without without feeling kind of the burdens of a, of a weekly show with no backlog. We, in the pandemic period, we got very used to having, being three, four months ahead uh, in recording and feeling relaxed if we had to miss a week. And by the time 2022 hit, we had kind of uh, used most of that backlog or some of the sidecast backlog for a two-month break that I took, as I had. Uh, well, my wife did most of it, but we had our third kid. Uh, and then we kind of, you know, entered the end of that with uh, with no backlog, doing week-to-week episodes again, and just starting to feel some of the stress of keeping up on that. Uh, recording's one thing, watching the movies, editing, you know, it's it's a 12-, 13-hour commitment usually per week of one of us editing, um, even more for watching more movies or doing bigger projects. And, and that tends to be a lot for something when we have jobs and families and other things like that. Plus, travel was opening back up. People start doing more things, uh, even though the pandemic is in no way over. Um, uh, people, including myself and my family and Peter as well, felt had more trips planned and other things going on. So long-winded way to say, we, as we looked to 2023, we decided that we wanted to do a few things. One, focus on months that we've been really excited to do. Sometimes we intersperse stuff that we're completely excited about with other things, and we're like, we're when we do a month, these are months that, and the themes of those months that we just, we're not pulling any punches. We're not saving bigger things. These are things that Peter or myself or both of us are all incredibly, incredibly excited about. Uh, so that's one. Uh, two, we're going to have a few more months off. And we, um, after a lot of thought and where we were at in January, decided it made sense to start with January as kind of a month off. We're still actually going to be releasing We Love to Watch. Uh, we have classic episodes that... Unless you're really going through our backlog or a newer listener, you may never have heard. Or even if you did hear them a long time ago, these are these are ones that Peter and I have a special connection with. So we're going to record some new intros. We're going to release those over the next few weeks, uh, starting with today's, which I'll get in a second. 
Uh, in February, we're doing a failure to launch month about sci-fi franchises that uh, had one movie and ended. Uh, we're really excited about that. In general, of the movies that we've seen, we actually really love them. And I think there's a lot of people that are passionate about those, but they also are interesting to talk about for that reason. So that's uh, Valerian and the Planet of a Thousand Cities, uh, I believe. The, this planet, the City of a Thousand Suns? I don't know. Uh, it's a great movie. Excited to talk about that. Uh, we're doing uh, Jupiter Ascending. We're doing Battle Angel Alita and Mortal Engines. Um, so those are that's coming in February. Before that, we're going to kick off the new year with our first new episode the way we always do, which is our best of the previous year, best of 2021. Carrie Nelson is our guest for that. Again, we're really excited. 2021 was a great year for movies, and we are still doing catch-up as we speak before we record to make sure we hit all the big ones we want to talk about. Uh, and then in March, we're going to we're gonna pivot to a month of Star Trek, our sidecast where uh, Peter gets to see the Star Trek movies for the first time. Uh, we're going to end our kind of next generation run. We have one movie left, uh, Star Trek Nemesis. Uh, we're going to do three episodes, uh, including uh, a few of my favorite episodes, the Q-Arc, uh, the finale, and a few other ones. Because Next Generation had a ton of great episodes, and they're, in general, the episodes are better than the movies. And so we want to make sure as we introduce him to Star Trek, he gets to see those. Uh, hopefully that's a month that many of you are interested in, uh, but definitely a month that I am excited about. Uh, and then we, we'll, we'll keep you guys updated for what we're doing for the rest of the year. We'll still have a strong Spooktober presence. Uh, and and a double month in the summer and a few other things. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to still record during this time. We're going to build up a backlog and everything else. Uh, and uh, But we appreciate, you know, you as a listener. Hope you stick with us as we kind of slow down a little uh, from what we've been doing uh, for a long period of time and, and stay with us through this. Uh, which comes to my first, uh, my fave pick. Uh, this one is The Running Man. This was uh, maybe our 40th episode uh, before our first year. Uh, this was, the, if, if you've been a long-time listener to this show, you know there was a pivot point after about two years where we used to spend the first hour of the podcast doing stuff that was tangentially related to the movie. So a stupid game we would make up or just bringing up different topics or kind of really doing this idea of unrelated segments before we got to the movie. And eventually I think we got, if you know, just a little bit of introspection. I think we got better and more passionate about talking to the movie. We're realizing we were producing three hour shows where it was an hour before we started talking about the movie. We wouldn't get to everything we wanted to talk about in the movie because we would just get tired or need to go to bed or realize we didn't have time to edit a three hour episode. And so we, we stopped doing those, those, segments i think whether our podcast has uh, improved or uh been made worse through that is probably up to you the listener depending on what you're looking for uh i i hope that we still have a good sense of humor combined with some some good discussion around the actual movie that we're covering but we definitely have less i think of the silliness than we used to have just uh just because we're not doing goofy stuff at the beginning of episodes for a long period of time this is my favorite though or one of my favorite episodes because so Peter was actually uh, the uh, he lived in Chicago at the time, and his upstairs uh, his upstairs neighbor at the apartment that he was living in was they were painting, and there was all these toxic fumes going into his apartment. He, and I, was, I think it was it was February in Chicago, so he couldn't really keep the window open. His his girlfriend at the time, not even fiance, now his wife, uh, left uh, because it was so bad, and she was getting so messed up in the head. And he stayed to record. 
and it's a very silly movie in general and um i listened back to this one actually recently and was like this is sometimes when i re-listen to old episodes well sometimes when i re-listen to any episodes i feel like Ugh, I can hear myself breathe, or I heard my tapping, or, you know, the the production values, the pauses, all those sort of things get stressful. And this is one that I remember when it first came out, it was it was probably the first one, this probably sounds a little bit of, uh, you know, self-congratulatory, but where I was laughing so hard at us that I almost had to pull over my car because it was so silly. And, um, and when I re-listened to it like a year ago, maybe I was like, oh, this was, this was actually funny. This was good. Um, so I had a really good time with this. This is the paint fume episode, as I always, I always say. Plus, he was drinking, and I was probably trying to match his energy. So it, it definitely has a different vibe than many of our other episodes. But yeah, this is the Running Man. This uh, was from uh, 2017 uh, for our future sport month. Uh, hope you enjoy this one, and looking forward to seeing you on the next one. Thanks. I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran, and we love to watch. We love to watch Arnold discovering ice-related puns. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing swell. Uh, Future Sport Month is uh, coming to a close, and uh, we've been having a real good time. Should we rise for the corporate anthem? Yes. Do, do you want Do you want to rise for the corporate anthem? Yeah, I'm right. I'm, I'm risen. <laughs> oh no, the corporate anthem in America would be like a Toby Keith song. Yeah, or like the <laughs> McDonald's theme song, but like. But like done by Toby Keith. But like done by ba da ba ba ba. I'm loving it. That's <laughs> I'm loving it. So yeah, so we're here. Uh, this is the last week of Future Sport Month. We're doing the Running Man. We were supposed to be joined by Peter Schubert. Uh, unfortunately, due to the tensing relationships between Germany and the United States, uh, he decided that it would be bad for any future job prospects. Uh, anything like that to just even be associated with someone from this country. We are we're the new evil empire. Um, it was a sad realization for me personally. Mm-hmm. You could say he brexited our show. He definitely or, brexited or it. Gaxited. Grexited. Je- Jexited. Jexted it. So yeah, these are well, all words. Yeah, he did, and he did all of them <laughs> to our hearts. Uh, no, uh, Peter. Peter had a family emergency that came up. Uh, we're still very excited to have him on. We've already rescheduled him for a week in April. So uh, we wish the best to you, Peter, and your family. Uh, we can't wait to have you on here uh, in a couple months. So, But we will we will do our best uh, without you to do uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger-related accents because somehow 
Peter, I don't know how this happened. We're about 45 episodes into this podcast. How have we never done an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? We've done uh, Predator 2, not Predator. Uh, <laughs> What's funny is we've, yeah, we've done two Maria Conchita Alonso movies. <laughs> But not, but not uh, two Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. What was the other one? Predator Two. Oh, she's in uh, the movie. Sorry, yeah. yeah, I was thinking of. I could only think of this movie and Commando for what movies had her in it, and I was like, "What the fuck?" I thought you were. I thought you were doing a bit, to be honest, because you said the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I think I for for a minute thought that it was uh, the woman from uh, Aliens. Had made it into Predator 2. That's also was- Maria Conchita Alonso. <laughs> no, stop it. <laughs> Maria, Maria Conchita Alonso is Legion. <laughs> She's in anything uh, tangentially related uh, to an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah, like seven steps removed from an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Oh, she's in, uh, she's in Vampire's Kiss, which is awesome. I haven't seen Vampire's Kiss. It's I think it's on Amazon Prime or Netflix, one of those two. She had a really good genre film career, huh? Yeah, she was in Lords of Salem. These are I all things I'm just that. remembering slowly, not things I'm looking up. Does she... <laughs> Does she playing... Is she playing a... Um... One of the old witches in Lords of Salem? She's, I don't remember. I mean, she's woman. definitely playing either a lord or a Salem. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> do you want to do a, this. Do you want like a do a game or something? We can do yeah, a game. I got a, I got a game for you. So uh this movie uh, is uh, The Running Man. Did we say that? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh and uh there You know how other podcasts we listen to have structures? <laughs> <laughs> Never touch the stuff. So, uh, this movie, The Running Man, is interesting because it both is inspired by and inspired a lot of, like, uh, game show type aspects. Like, it inspired uh, American Gladiators, which, like, completely unironically adopted a lot of uh, Running Man's sort of style and uh, its, its core concept. No one gets murdered on American Gladiators, apparently. Running Man is also pulling stuff from football and from, uh, you know, wrestling and such. And what it was apparently also pulling from is this, uh, well, obviously, it's based on a uh, Richard Bachman uh, book. Um, rest in really peace. Sad that, really, yeah, rest in peace. It's really sad that Richard Bachman never wrote, uh, you know, more than, you know, three or four stories. And this is also based on a Japanese TV show called the Trans-American Ultra Quiz. So, it was this Japanese TV show, and it was, like, the origin of the, like, borderline uh, racist stereotype that all (laughs) Japanese television is about people being abused for money. And this is uh, from back uh, when people didn't have as much money in Japan, and so traveling was really hard, but the culture, like, uh, really encouraged traveling. So, if you had the money for it, you should go, but, like, most people couldn't afford to do it. So, uh, so back then, they they would take people on this, like, three-week tour across America... And like basically torture them <laughs> through all these uh, these these events. Like uh, in a in a Hawaiian challenge, contestants were awakened at two a.m. and were asked questions until dawn. And <laughs> the loser of it had to paint a uh, one kilometer long line on an airport tarmac uh, on a hot day. <laughs> and you get to travel for free, but you endure these punishments, like walk naked at Niagara Falls. And one of the con- contestants had you chasing a trailer that was driven on the back of a car with buzzers on it. And you had to hit your buzzer to answer the question. If you lose, you just, you get 
kicked off the show, whatever. How many people died on this show? <laughs> Nobody, but like, it's sort of like supposed to like embarrass you, whatever. And that was one of the, this sort of like, this Extreme Game Quiz Show was kind of uh, an inspiration for this is, uh, you know, how far will we go at game shows in the future? And recently there was like this article about this Russian game show that was like, no rules. You survive the Siberian act, the, the Siberian outback. We won't stop you if you commit a crime, even up to murder. Like I don't know if the show went away, but there was like a lot of outrage about that. So I have five questions for you, each with a punishment if you answer them incorrectly. Do you want to play this game with me? Not really. Really, you set it up terrible. Like you did not make me want to play this game. It's like here's all these terrible, all right, Aaron, terrible, embarrassing one. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I have someone outside your house with a set of flamethrowers, and if you do not play in the game, you get to see a cool flamethrower. That explains where that park went. Question number one. Uh, Dweezil Zappa, son of Frank Zappa, references his father's song, Blank, with the line, Don't touch that dial. What is that song? A. Who are the brain police? B. I am the slime. C. Give me that diaper, baby. Parentheses. Capitalism is bad. And D. Jazzercise suicide. I'm gonna go with B. I'm. It is. I am the slime, and I made up. Uh, give me that diaper, baby. J- capitalism is bad, and uh, jazzercise suicide. Those all sound like they could be Frank Zappa songs. Yeah, I made those up. Who are the brain police? Is an actual Frank Zappa song though. Um, so you don't get that punishment. You get to move on to round number two. What was the punishment? Uh. It's Since a, we're it's never going to do this again. It's a light insult. Oh, okay. Um, Aaron, you're a big dumb baby, and I hate d- big dumb babies. I am glad I did not get that punishment. That would have been rough on my self-esteem. Yeah, alternate reality, Aaron, is crying real hard right now. Like, I'm glad I never even heard that, even in passing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, basically, it's like I'm tacking someone else. It didn't feel directed at me because you specifically said that this was not going to be directed at me because I got the point. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, that would have hurt. I'm glad that you are not um, sympathizing in any way with alternate reality, Aaron, who is in fact a schmuck. That guy's an asshole. He got the question <laughs> wrong. <laughs> that guy deserves everything yeah. that he had coming. Fuck that guy. <laughs> All right. Question number two. Richard Dawson hosted Family Feud. He was replaced... Then returned to the show after that replacement. Who was the middle of this period? A. Louis Anderson. B. A sentient ball of pubes. C. Richard Karn. Or D. Ray Combs. It's Ray Cohn, and Ray Cohn killed himself. He did? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to pretend like I didn't know that. Just uh, FYI. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's really, really horrible. Let's move on. Let's, what was my punishment have been? Um, Aaron, please jam your thumb in your eye. Uh, we're on the honor system here. I, I, I've done that five times from drinking. So, <laughs> right, miss. And, having, and having wily thumbs. Yeah. Um, question number three. Aaron, what is Arnold Schwarzenegger's career-spanning catchphrase? The inflection matters. A, I'll be back. B, I'll be back. A German beer-style traditionally served in the spring. C, I'll be Bach, the famous German Baroque composer. Are you still laughing? No. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure if we cut out or like that. So, 
let's let's pause <laughs> for a, let's pause for a second. Okay, yeah. Let's pause for a second. What is making yourself laugh? Is it hearing your own voice do the impression, or what you're having the impression say, or how stupid the whole thing is? <laughs> One doing a bad Arnold impression is like one of the best things you could ever do for yourself it's just yeah. joy yeah. b uh the question is very stupid uh and c uh the fact that i came up with back bach and bach <laughs> <laughs> okay well we still have the, we still have d let's let's hear no, just can... c just a through c for this one okay me to repeat? Uh, uh yeah please <laughs> a can you do him in a uh, peter schubert accent <laughs> Uh, I could do it in an Arnold accent. Great. (laughs) Do that. A. I'll be back. B. I'll be back. A German beer style tradition is served in the spring. (laughs) The accent starts out so bad. I'll be back. It gets so much worse. (laughs) The famous... The famous German Baroque composer. I think it's I think it's A. Should we? I want to pause. So that's probably right, right? It's yes. not B or C. <laughs> okay. Just want to confirm. There he does not fun- say that he's going to be Bach, because he was never in a biography of Bach. And he never <laughs> says that he'll be Bach it. or beer. Um, let's let's quickly both do our best. Let's just get this out of the way. Best Arnold Schwarzenegger accent. Quick, go. You go first. <laughs> Uh, were you doing it already? Hold on. <laughs> I stopped laughing. <laughs> I'm going to rip your head off. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. All right. <laughs> Listen, we gotta get out of here. Hey. <laughs> Why did he get all crusty? <laughs> I think I was coughing or something. Listen, oh. we gotta get out of here. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Your Arnold Schwarzenegger, if you came to America, still got famous for being an action hero, yet was a pencil neck. Is yeah. <laughs> that a tumor? <laughs> Should I get it checked out? <laughs> Look, just start shooting. <laughs> okay, you ready for number number oh. question number four? Oh, I am. Uh, this is also an accents question. Okay, <laughs> this is this is where I'm looking for what uh, the emphasis on a word is. Yes. Which state was Arnold governor of? With accents again. <laughs> this game is just for you. California. <laughs> that was not Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, B. California. C. California. Well, your first one was definitely a Bobcat Goldwith impression. <laughs> So, I guess... Wait, let me try more time for number C. California. I think you probably think it's A, but the the closest one is probably C. It's C, yeah. Because okay. he doesn't say Cal- he doesn't say California. He says California. Okay. Were you doing trying to do a Bobcat Goldwith impression for A? <laughs> no, but I okay. should just I should just do uh, Arnold pronouncing every syllable. Um, is my Bobcat Goldwith. Um, oh, <laughs> I sorry. think I'm four for four, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to know the punishment for that one? Oh, I forgot that was a part of this game. <laughs> yeah. Punishment. You must now raise the children Arnold fathered with that maid. This is topical humor and very timely. <laughs> ooh. <laughs> you know, we don't even have an audience that I can hear him go, ooh. <laughs> 
Mainly because I've mainly because I've done that and then layered the track over and over because I'm editing this week. <laughs> Can you layer in just one Arsenio whoop 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 for me? Whoop whoop. <laughs> Punishment. You are now my roommate in California. Say goodbye to your family. Oh, okay. Well, it's California though. Yeah, it's California, but like, yeah, you don't have your your daughter or your your wife or anything. Dogs. I mean, you know about Skype, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't really fit that into the punishment. Yeah, um, we're using it right now, Peter. <laughs> like, maybe think. Yeah, they have it in the film Starship Troopers, right? Yep, that's what it is. Uh, it's it's fifty percent of the conversations are used only for uh, when your parents are about to die off off screen. Or when your girlfriend, Denise Richards, breaks up with you. <laughs> we should, um, <laughs> a bunch of nerds in a, in a lab, like, it's so embarrassing when a, a girl takes you out to dinner and uh, then she, she breaks up with you right there. Wouldn't it be better if you could get broken up with through the computer? What if you didn't have to say goodbye to your parents and the screen just went dark? <laughs> And they're just like, maybe clouds are rolling in. You know, peaceful like. <laughs> I fucking love Starship Trooper so I'm exci- I'm excited that we have a new voice on the show. Uh, uh, generic <laughs> nerd. What if our let's just let's just do some like impromptu brainstorming sessions. Let's think of a funny situation where our nerd met our New Yorker. <laughs> I think it might go something. Like this. I'm kind of a nerdy guy. Hey, a pizza pie. <laughs> I thought you were going to let me play one of the characters. <laughs> you do your own plays, man. That's a, This is like right morning zoo. You don't need more than one person. <laughs> the audience couldn't even tell. It was seamless. All right, you do yours now. Do your play. My play with the... <laughs> Let's go to yeah. a different house with a different nerd and a different <laughs> New Yorker. Maybe that would go something like this. Uh, 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 um, um, well, excuse me, um, um, sir. Um, this pizza is supposed to have anchovies on it. And uh, you want anchovies on your pizza? <laughs> <laughs> and then another guy busted. Listen, we got to get out of here. Hey. <laughs> Oh, and scene. And scene. That was an allegory on the state of our Middle East conflict. (laughs) Take that, Nixon. Did you guys get that? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking sheeple. Yeah. Snaps. Um, snaps. Uh, <laughs> is the okay. game over? Did we do it number five? All right, let's start. Let's start this episode over. Okay. Beep, beep, beep. I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we. Uh, and I'm uh, Dexter. <laughs> oh, and I'm Antonia. <laughs> and I'm Arnold. <laughs> and I'm Peter Schubert. <laughs> I'm Aaron. And I'm a big old piece of shit. <laughs> oh, I'm Peter, and I've never had sex with a human being. <laughs> Why is it just your normal nerd voice? Why isn't it your no nerd, reason, your, Peter? Your nerd uh, subcategory, virgin. <laughs> I tried to make it even more nerdy and more virginy. <laughs>
<laughs> hey, I'm Aaron, and I have gout. <laughs> hey, I'm Peter, and I got to drive across the country next week like an idiot. <laughs> that is what idiots did. Yeah. Hey, guess what? Cowboys were idiots, I guess. <laughs> I mean, they were racist. <laughs> you want to jump on that uh, wagon there, Peter? See what I did with the wagon? <laughs> They must have not. Uh, they must have not been that smart, considering they were riding horses all day. If they were a little smarter, they would have invented a car or a horseless carriage, if you will. <laughs> if you will, <laughs> I will not. Yeah, good. <laughs> Don't. All right. Question number five. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Question number five. Where are you running, man? Uh, a, it is none of your business. B, from a chainsaw-wielding maniac. C, I'm actually stationary. And D, from the truth, sheeple. I don't know who this question is directed at. <laughs> Just like, you, specifically. Okay, C, C, then, I guess? I mean, you're actually stationary? That's true. It doesn't sound like you're huffing and puffing. No, no, so I haven't walked at least three feet. <laughs> <laughs> The only reason it doesn't sound like I'm huffing and puffing is because I've done noise reduction on my breathing. (laughs) To be fair, you also have, uh, you also tongue fuck the mic, I think. Yeah, it's the old radio thing where because they put that big, like, condom, the foam condom over the Mm -hmm. microphone. Yeah. And you're raw dogging that mic right now. You get right in there. (laughs) (laughs) And you get right in there. I'm inside your ears right now. Oh, God. I just panic and throw the headphones <laughs> on the floor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the punishment is, you're already running. I think that's ample punishment. That's great. It's, the problem is, is that we, we blew our load on yeah. uh, ridiculousness. And so that was, a, that was really a bad like epilogue to our laughter. Yeah, this is how, how the, the game is ending. I have nothing more written here. Um, so I guess we'll just transition. Oh, I'm Peter. Next. Do you want to talk about Running Man, I guess? Oh, I'm Aaron. Oh, I'm Peter. Let's talk about Running Man. Uh, Aaron, I'm a perma-virgin. <laughs> oh, my virginity grew back. I have two and I gave one away. I'm Peter. <laughs> oh, I'm Peter. I've got three virginities now. <laughs> Wait, you said, you said you're Peter. I know. That's the joke. Oh. <laughs> oh All right. man. Schwarzenegger in a game show called The Running Man. Not much running, to be honest. Just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, 90 second recap. Oh, I'm Peter. I'm doing the 90 second recap. <laughs> oh, Marin, I did a really shitty job with the five second oh, recap. Well, There's actually you know, kind of a lot of running in this movie. I, I just no, agreed with him so I can so, get to the part where I talk. Oh, should be called The Jogging Man. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have our own characters that just, um, uh, Muppet Theater. What are those? What are they called? Stan Dorn and Waldorf? Yeah, this is the show. Uh, God, <laughs> except for it's us making fun of ourselves.
Yeah, but as like, the other person for no Kermit reason. Didn't, <laughs> Kermit didn't go up in the booth and be like, that guy looks like a cocksucker. Yeah. Wait, hold on, let me try again. <laughs> let me try again. That guy looks like a cocksucker. <laughs> yeah, Kermit and Fonzie didn't go, oh, I'm Fonzie. <laughs> oh, I'm Kermit. I'm a little frog. You Wait, can't find my penis if you wanted to. <laughs> this show's giving me vietnam flashbacks (laughs) well that's a talent we just learned you had (laughs) why aren't you doing more fozzy uh voices hey fozzy this is uh this is actually uh kind of depressing you're you're bumming everyone out i'm just gonna be the host of uh inside the actor's studio (laughs) every episode now just hey peter you know it'd be interesting if what Fozzie Bear would make of Death Wish 3, is he <laughs> is he here with us right now? <laughs> ah, I love its fascist messaging. <laughs> oh, thank you. And then everyone just goes. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. We we're I don't think this is going to get back on track. So just just bear with us. Personal difficulties. Our episode on the Running Man tonight will be approximately twenty minutes. Our episode on uh, which bad it. accents can we do yeah. and which good accents can we do will be an hour and forty. I don't even feel that bad because I don't think this movie is like fantastic and everyone's seen it. So yeah. you know what? Tune out now. We'll get to it. I've got a. I've got a lot of. I, I, a lot I have of a ton. I have a ton of notes too. Yeah. I can. I've already screamed through a lot of them in the game. Anyways, oh, ninety second recap. <laughs> Uh, ben Richards uh, works for this uh, police force of the future, and he is a uh, sort of super cop guy. And he, there's a moment when the super cop commander tells him to fire on a crowd of food rioters, unarmed food rioters. He says no. Uh, he is arrested for insubordination. Uh, and then he gets uh, basically ends up in these Running Man games, which is a super popular violent game show, wherein contestants compete for their freedom what they think is their freedom uh and they try and survive these uh hunters um these slayers who are haunting them and they're all sort of it's sort of highly stylized uh it's very like disco aesthetic and uh these hunters are all like super themed and uh so ben richards basically he gets caught he's in this prison he escapes in this prison with some friends he gets caught in the games and uh maria conchita alonzo betrays him at first because she doesn't she thinks he's like a dangerous terrorist and then she learns she gets woke and she uh, ends up in the games trying to basically, like, find out the truth about him. She joins the games with Yafet Kodo. Hold on. Is it Harold? Who's the nerdy guy? I don't know, but he's here with you. <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst exorcism movie ever. I'm uh, here with you now, Aaron. Uh, I forget. Uh, 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 How could I you forget me, Peter? <laughs> uh, well, uh, um, now see here. I'll have you know that his name is Harold uh, Weiss, and he's played by Marvin J. McIntyre. Also you. known as the nerdy guy. Also known as the nerdy guy. The dirty nerdy. <laughs> This accent is changing. Um, This nerd just got horny. (laughs) That is going to get edited out and burned. (laughs) Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna light that part of my computer on fire. I know how editing works. Yeah, I thought you meant you were gonna burn it to a disc to preserve it for all time. It's the last prank I have. Hey, Aaron's got a will. I see he left an audio will for us. Now that he's passed, let's listen. 
Oh, it's the voice of uh, Peter Moran, his old co-host on his podcast, saying he's a dirty nerdy. <laughs> so, thanks, Aaron. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, so hacky and bad. So, he competes in the Running Man games. Being Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's very good at being a, running, um, a runnings man. And eventually, he escapes joins the resistance um and he uh with the resistance he takes down the games he kills the host of the games uh this richard dawson uh guy named damon killian played by richard dawson <laughs> yeah, he's a richard dawson type <laughs> uh yeah he kills killian and uh says a thingy and then he gets to kiss maria cochito alonso because she was so impressed by his uh pun skills before he commits a murder then i guess he wins the games but like and then that's it yeah i think they have to like still take down like an entire government like you took down the propaganda wing of a government that still is like heavily militarized there's not really a clear uh go forward direction it's because the movie he joins up with the resistance and there's no line like now that we got their voice like we can do whatever there's no line like that in it so it just kind of feels like they're like oh um yeah, he, him winning the games is actually one of my problems with the movie. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So um, I saw this for the first time in high school, and I should say that it's not like I disliked it, but I was really disappointed because conceptually, this was like one of my big movies where, holy cow, as a concept, this is great. You know, future game show where they're basically using it to cover up the murder of, of prisoners uh, in a way that's entertaining for people. And I just felt like they didn't do enough with that concept I was interested in and instead spent all their time making a mediocre Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, action movie from the 80s. I've said this before on the show that especially in high school, I, I just wasn't really into that kind of like action type. Cheesy, cheesy action was not my bread and butter. I've since learned to appreciate kind of like the cheesy canon action movies or just 80s action cheese in general. As a genre, but at the time, I was I, I felt like there was all these surface area stuff that they did not touch on that I really wanted them to dig into. Uh, I didn't feel like they spent enough time teaching you how the game worked. It just kind of, you know, this idea of them running through this giant city area, 400 square miles or whatever it is they said, while cameras are trying to follow them and then they're being hunted and the scenes just kind of went rapid succession and they just didn't feel like they put much care into how the game works, which was critical for a future sport movie i watched it again like much later and again i obviously watched it for the show and both times i have a i do have an appreciation for it i actually really do like it now uh because i've kind of i appreciate it now for the movie it is not the movie i wanted it to be but having said that it does it doesn't work as like a dystopian serious future uh, Philip K. Dick or, you know, Richard Bachman, Stephen King type. This movie could be, I still think, I think you could make this movie and make it so much better or make a completely different version that's more hard sci-fi and cares more about uh, the mechanisms of the game itself. So I actually, I read the book of it a long, long time ago, the Richard Bachman story, and it's a very oh, Peter, different. I can read. Um, and it's very different. It's, it's, um, it's much darker. It's a cross con it's more like a death race thing like it's a cross continental thing and he gets paid every day that he's alive he enters into the race voluntarily 
at the end of it, he decides it has a more satisfying end because he like decides to do, uh, I guess, spoilers for a book from 30, 40 years ago. Um, he decides to pull a suicide run on um, on the, the building and kills the, the host as well as himself or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's a very different story. And I don't think this has that much to do with it, except for, you know, future sport. There's a game like I think Series Seven, The Contenders, is a movie that probably has more in common with the book. But anyways, this we wanted to do it for this month because it's supposed to be this like future sport where there's like, supposed to be like athletes that are good at the game and people that like blow up the game and like it's it's televised like a sport and it's based on sports specifically, as opposed to like Series Seven, which is like more riffing on uh, reality shows. Yeah. But yeah, I, I saw this movie when I was younger and I had a bit of reaction that was similar to you. I didn't really like the 70s sort of disco aesthetic to it. While it's a very 80s movie in some ways, it's a very 70s movie in terms of aesthetic. It's got this like sort of sweaty, like spandex leotard look to it. That's like... Yeah, yeah. Like the game, the game show set doesn't have like the type of clean, sterile look you'd expect from like an 80s game show. Yeah, I thought it was missing some of the kind of 80s uh, sheen that ironically, I think is actually President Death Race 2000, a movie that took place in the 70s. Yeah, that's true. It's got, yeah, but it's, it doesn't, it has more like a disco glam aesthetic and it's pretty ugly. And I didn't think that many of the action scenes were that exciting. Um, yeah, they happen to quit. Yeah. I also, even as, even when I was younger, I had problems with the one-liners in this movie because yeah. like, they fit a movie like Commando where... From its from the ground up, feels like a parody of Rambo Two. Um, it's not, but it kind of feels like one. Like it's so self. It feels so self aware to me. This this doesn't really have that. Um, when I watched it this time, I was kind of struck by how poorly staged a lot of the action is. Yeah, the Prison Break is so awkward. It feels like uh, a movie that would be on Mystery Science Theater. This isn't really Arnold's fault, though he I think he's miscast in this. We'll get to that later. There's no real connection sometimes between the action uh, of the, the perpetrator of the action and the victim of the action. Arnold's shooting feels totally disconnected from the person Arnold is shooting. Um, so when I was younger, I was like, well, it doesn't work as an action movie. I think it's kind of ugly to look at, and I don't like the messaging of it. And I think the one-liners are annoying, so I didn't, really didn't like it much um growing up i was much warmer to it this time in terms of like i saw the possibility in it like and it kind of worked more as a comedy for me a lot of my problems that i had are still problems i have with the movie yeah this movie could have severely benefited from uh having like a paul verhoeven behind the camera and i'm not saying that because obviously like he paul verhoeven used schwarzenegger very good in total recall so so, yeah, it was directed by uh, Paul Michael Glazer, who's kind of a nothing director. You probably haven't heard much of. He did The Cutting Edge. He did uh, Kazam, uh, the air up there. Like, he did five. He was an actor. He did, like, five movies between 1986 and 1996. So, obviously, like, Verhoeven is shooting for the stars when it comes to, like, the type of director you would want for this type of material. Um, I think all of my enjoyment really comes from... Bits and moments of, like, Richard Dawson. Uh, I think some of the one-liners are so bad that they are completely endearing. Um, I like the part where, like, Arnold flips out on Richard Dawson, uh, on Killian. If, I'm gonna, grabs the camera? Yeah. I'm going to shove my fist down your throat. I'm going to shove my fist down your throat. Yeah, I didn't even try a sword. I forgot that there was, like, an accent to do there. Um <laughs> 
Do you know Arnold Schwarzenegger has a very famous accent? Uh, You mean Hercules in New York? (laughs) That guy? Yeah. Wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to rip your throat. Wow. (laughs) I wish Peter had seen Hercules in New York. He would have more material. Uh, That movie was released in 1979. (laughs) Are you just constantly pushing up your glasses? I I actually was like pushing up fake glasses that I don't have. (laughs) I was doing the same thing. Just getting character. Method podcast. Terrible impressioner. <laughs> so while we're while we're doing uh, Arnold impressions, can, do you want to just talk about Arnold in this movie, like as a character? And, yeah, uh, I do. So yeah, so I don't. So I love Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I, he was the one I gravitated towards. I've talked before, like Stallone and uh, Van Damme. I just I I got into it at a later point in my life, mid twenties, when I when I could really appreciate like the eighties or the cheesy action movie as a genre in a way that I didn't in high school. But what I was very much into in high school was uh, sci-fi. And Arnold really seemed to gravitate towards those types of movies. So he was in The Running Mans. He was in Total Recall. He was in the Terminator movies. He was in like The Sixth Day later on. And I don't know why he kind of became like really, in a lot of respects, the sci-fi action star. For as much as we we talk about 80s and 90s action stars, we don't really think – we think of them as just like straight Bruce Willis, Stallone action movies and like the biggest of all of them was doing these kind of weird sci-fi high concept uh, action movies. So I was always a big fan of Schwarzenegger uh, based on the movies that he was in. But I, but I think that he's miscast in this movie because the thing that Schwarzenegger does a good job of is, like, maintaining a – not an ironic distance, but he just – you know, he doesn't commit to his characters because he's not that good of an actor. He's a great action star, got great charisma, but he does he, – he's not able to do the person who was imprisoned for killing women and children and how that's doing his psyche. So, uh, you know, as Ben Richards, you need someone who – doesn't maintain that kind of like whatever. Schwarzenegger's best when he's too cool for school, and he should be a man like fearful of his life after he's had his life taken away from him from doing from doing the right thing. So like that part where he yells at uh, Killian is great because that's the one moment where it feels like he is actually affected by the proceedings. Yeah, yeah, and also that's like I will get to this later, but uh, that's also another one of my problems with the movie is that it doesn't really take on, and a lot of this has to do with you know the time that it took place in. It doesn't really take on the role of what a what a camera is in this contest, and the camera is so important. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll get to that later. But the, the scene where he's just grabbing the camera and shaking it, I was like, oh, my God, this movie needs more dynamic camera work like that that lets us see what the audience is seeing. Or I mean, I say the audience isn't seeing him threaten, but the idea of that. Yeah. Uh, where, where the audience can, isn't seeing a film's eye view of it, the audience is seeing a cameraman's eye view of, of the proceedings. I, I actually, I think I'm a little friendlier to Schwarzenegger as an actor than you are because I think that he has a lot of range, but he's just, you're right, he's he, he is Best when he's too cool for school. That's when he's he fits in most to a role. Or um, removed. Like Terminator, he's not too cool for school, but he's not human. So he he's not he's not able to emotionally connect to what's happened to him. Yes. So Terminator two more and three more so than one because one I feel like it's it's kind of a too cool for school thing because he's. Um, well, he doesn't attend school in any of those movies. <laughs> He's blissfully unaware. But like in two and three, they added a sort of layer of irony. Like they're kind of making fun of his roboticness. 
in a bit more in two and three. Like it, I forgot that like in the first Terminator, I'll be bu- I'll be Buck is like not as a joke or anything. It's almost like a throwaway line that's just really badass. I think early in in his career, this included, he wasn't that great of an actor with range. He didn't know how to do comedy yet at all, which I think he became a pretty gifted comedic actor. Oh yeah. Um, I think he's hilarious in Kindergarten Cop, and he's really funny in Junior, which is a fucking weird movie. Like I think, or when I think the best role of his career is is actually Conan and Conan the Barbarian. In Conan the Barbarian, he's supposed to be this sort of like thrashing id, and his his physicality is part of the performance. And like it's weird watching a movie where that pretends like him being so huge isn't a big deal. Like in Conan, him being so so much larger than life is a massive deal and it's part of his success factor. Yeah. You actually watch him train on camera to become Conan. It's a, it's a very physically exertive role and like it makes sense. Like he just fits in as this like a uh, strange foreign figure that gets brought into this war and he just, and he just like completely adopts this like fascist, vicious ideology towards the world and commando he's sort of right he's too cool for school he's winking total recall is sort of like that too um but total recall is an example of them like inventing a reason for why he might not be fully committed to the reality that he's seeing and that he he's not part of that real like he doesn't know it's real or not so his distance is part of his character I think this movie needs more self-awareness, sort of like as a satire, because I think I think later in his career, Schwarzenegger could have nailed that. Like Total Recall has a bit of satire to it, um, it, it sort of unreality where the, the camera can kind of wink at you. Um, like Death Race, I think, is a much, much better satire made on a yeah. much smaller budget and is shorter. This movie's well, kind of long. It is kind of long. Here's the other thing that, as long as we're talking about Death Race, because I, I mentioned this on the episode, the, the reason why Death Race succeeds as well as it does is it commits to its universe. Uh, Frankenstein in that movie runs over kids. They don't ever do the thing that all of these movies do, or the lesser Ugh. versions of these movies do, where these people that have gotten really far in their universe as we see them as audience members reject the universe. Like I can't run over that kid again because that is not real to the world. And it pulls, pulls, I, I said at the time, pulls the rug away. This movie is like a prime example of he's ordered to Arnold Schwarzenegger at the very beginning. He's ordered to fire on the women and children says he can't in a and, terrible performance In a terrible performance. What are you talking about? The, the women and children. I don't yeah. know what accent that was. It's went away from me. <laughs> They talk about him being like a 15-year helicopter pilot. How the fuck in this universe did you become that before? without without this happening like your third day probably? Yeah. They didn't flip a coin and say like, oh, today's fascism day. And everyone yeah. was like, cool. And he was like, it's not cool. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> they, uh, my Arnold impression is going, going away. It's um, getting worse. It's supposed to be getting better. Yeah, so that's the problem is that they they take you out of the universe by making your protagonist not a part of the universe in any sort of realistic way. And I kind of feel like that's where this movie constantly falls down because they don't really commit to how the game works. Like, how much better is this movie, and maybe this happens in the book, is if he does kill all those people following orders and then it, it leaks, it gets out that this happened and the government uses him as a scapegoat. Oh, we didn't want to do that. We he had to kill all those people. 
and we we tried to stop him. Like that's a better movie. It's a better arc for the story, and it makes more sense where he he got he got screwed. He's he was an evil man who got screwed by the evil system he was serving, and is now being you know trotted out as punishment for something that he was just a cog in the machine for, and now he has to rise back and fight against the yeah. machine. The whole movie makes way more sense that way. Instead, but they they couldn't do that in 1987. Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's just an unrepentant hero who would never even think about doing it. Yes, you uh, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what I wanted to say, and specifically with regards to Death Race. So Richard's sort of virtue signals at the beginning for us, which is totally unnecessary. He's like, I would never do that. I would never do anything bad. And you're like, well, you work. You literally are wearing a brown shirt in a police helicopter above food riots. Like you're. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've done some horrible shit. Internment camps, first I've ever heard of it. <laughs> and this is why I always loved Snake Plissken growing up, is because yeah. Snake Plissken is just specifically anti-authoritarian. So he hates the government. He probably would hate our government too. Like he would hate Hillary Clinton's government. He would hate Donald Trump's government. He's just like doesn't like people getting in his way. But he's a Bernie bro. But since but since he's a, he's a total Bernie bro, Snake Plissken, Bernie bro. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but we can root for him because he's anti-authoritarian against a government that we hate. So he doesn't have to be a good guy. Snake Plissken is specifically an anti-hero, and he does selfish shit all the time. Yeah. But we root for him because he's still getting screwed by this mega government that uh, we would hate if we had to live in. So we've got enough bad guys that we see him as a good guy inherently. He doesn't have to be fucking Jesus Christ. Like, he just has to be not the government in this situation. And the the whole idea of um, Frankenstein being someone who lives in the universe and he, he opts that universe helps us stay in that universe for, for me. I, I don't know entirely where the idea of um, audience, uh, audience identification characters came in. Especially, especially in, especially in this sort of world, that was just so omnipresent in these, in any of these movies, where whatever the audience identification character is, that guy's a good guy. Like he is a good guys. He's a good guy. I want to be very clear. Maybe he did some bad things, or maybe he makes like one little mistake. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger's like crime in this movie is he doesn't go full bore with the resistance right away. And then eventually through one unconvincing scene is like, I guess I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, that's I've got a big problem with how the resistance is handled in this movie because he basically gets captured by them and he goes like, oh, you you hate Killian too? Like, what would I – how are we supposed to feel about them joining up other than it's a thing of convenience? Like, that's not dramatically interesting. And also, um, who cares? Like – wouldn't he be with – you know, the whole fact that he wasn't with the Resistance was such a weird, I guess, plot point inserted so that you could celebrate him joining to some guy we've never seen later. Like, it's so – it's structured It's structured very poorly. Um, yeah. So, he, so uh, the audience identification thing, it's not always this. I think – it's always it's not always this. I think um, Sicario does something interesting with audience identification characters in Emily Blunt's character. Where she's a little flatter than the other characters on purpose. Yeah. Uh, to it's sort of proving this larger point um, about how hard it is to make moral decisions in this like strange relative vacuum or whatever. Sicario, uh, though, is a good example where an audience identification character or 
Luke Skywalker from Star Wars, that those make sense just fine because they are new people brought into the world where Arnold Schwarzenegger in Running Man and Frankenstein in Death Race 2000 are not people brought into the world. They are existing and have thrived to some level in the world. So to make them the audience identification character who's rejecting the world doesn't work in the same way Emily Blunt or Luke Skywalker does. Yes, but usually when I think of audience identification characters – uh, which Ben Richards is clearly supposed to be. I think of uh, them deciding to put an everyman in a movie so that people can throw exposition at them so that the everyman, yeah. they're yeah. going to the secret base so the everyman's trying to you know talk to this alien or whatever. They know what to say. And I feel like that's a failure. It's, it's economical, yes, but I feel like that's usually a failure of storytelling because yeah. you're not – Finding elegant ways to communicate to the audience visually, so you have to have it explained with exposition. Um, yeah, I think that's a big problem. My other big problem is I mentioned this a couple times in passing that I just don't feel like they give enough thought to the game because one thing we talked about with Death Race, one thing we talked about with Rollerball, uh, that both those movies were enjoyable because the game we were watching was well thought out. It was clear to the audience and it was enjoyable to watch. And this doesn't have the problem as bad as Blood of Heroes, but it does have the problem where like they escape onto the 400 square mile or 400 square block uh, area game zone. The next scene after they get out of the entry alley or whatever it is, is they're taking on Sub-Zero. Like, and that's the, – they're just there almost immediately. And every time you see them, for the most part, they're either trying to jam a satellite, which I'll tell you what. If you're in an 80s movie and no one asks you to jam a satellite, are you really in an 80s movie? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Also, why is the satellite in the middle of this fucking war zone? Like, the satellite thing doesn't make fucking sense at all. Also, he hacks the satellite whenever he gets this code. A, why does this really important code never change? B, they were on camera for his murder. Why would they not know to change the code if they know he cracked it? Yeah, that's – and, you know, it, it's also like, yeah, they just don't give enough thought to stuff that is important for a game to make sense because you need to be able to grasp onto something. And even stuff where they say – so they say no hunters have ever been killed before. Why do they do that? Three people fucking uh, beat the game. So how did that happen with no hunters getting killed? Because the hunters find them like fucking that. So did they just successfully run away for uh, like a hundred miles? Yeah. So like basically, what? Because they, they say three people have won the game, but no hunters have ever later, been they killed. They were actually murdered. But the public yeah. line, the public line is that they've ex- they, they escaped the game. Yeah, there's no rules. Like it's not like avoid the hunters for twenty minutes, and then the hunters are, are done. The hunters get to hunt you forever. It sounds like. So if the hunters are like the boss video game characters, this is fucking Shadow of the Colossus because there's no other enemies in between bosses. Yeah, and there's no there's no weapons to fight them. No, so it's just these bosses, and you don't have your bow and arrow or your horse or your sword. And they are – the Colossies are coming after you and somehow three people survived this just in the last year. But again, no one ever turns the table. No one's ever heard a hunter in the history of the show. That that didn't work for me and it would have been so easy for that not to be the case. Like why don't you just say hunters have died before but not not like this? It, it's – again, it's, it's showing poor thought into – how your game works. They have this huge urban area and it's empty. Are there traps? Are there obstacles for them to overcome? No, just some guy essentially 
with weird superpowers shows up on an alleyway sometimes and you can't really get a con- you can't really get a grasp of where they're headed or how far they've traveled it's just that happens sometimes the mechanics of the game don't make sense they don't make the sense game- and they don't and the movie doesn't seem to care about it because that's not what it's interested in but you know it's it's frustrating because the idea of this future game show is what I'm interested in as the audience member. So the fact that they don't, they not only don't commit to it, but only almost highlight how much they don't care about the mechanics of the game show is very frustrating as an audience member. And that's really what initially kind of turned me off on this movie uh, back when I first saw it. Now, there are some touches that I really like. Uh, some some of the dystopian touches, like the three winners are uh, have been killed and there's, I don't know why they're sitting in a closet in the middle of the game area. Seems like a mistake. Uh, but but whatever um i like i like the fact of how easily they're able to edit videos um how when they take you know maria conchita and put her in the game after they decide that she's become sympathetic to ben that they already have like all these little backstories to make the audience turn against them like there's those little like dystopic touches that when they hit it's really good but they just don't develop much beyond in passing. Like the movie, the movie seems way more interested in Arnold related action than it does any of this other way more interesting stuff. It's all surface level stuff. It has no real interest in engaging with the mechanics of any of these groups. It has some good performances in it that don't really deserve to be there. I think uh, Jesse Ventura gives the most like amazing, well, self-aware performance in it. Yeah, it's not as good as his performance as Billy Mays, but otherwise, <laughs> I don't know why his outfit, just his whole thing here reminded me of the late Billy Mays. Hey, I'm Billy Mays. It'd be like if Billy Mays got really into roids and that's what killed him. <laughs> um, Instead of cocaine. <laughs> snorting, uh, yeah, snorting steroids. Um, Jesse Ventura here for OxyClean. He does have sort of Billy Mays energy. It's really weird. Yeah. Is it just like aggressive TV spokesmen? Like some people with deep voices just all sound like Billy Mays? Yeah. It's, it's, they both wore blue. They have mustaches and they yelled at the TV a lot. Yeah. Right in your face. Right in your yeah. stupid fucking TV. Right in your face. stupid. Keep eating yeah, cause this, peanuts. Because P.S. If you watch TV. This movie thinks you're a fucking idiot. That is true. So there's yeah, let's talk about that. This movie, um, I don't think the movie. We should really talk does. about stuff that we like at some point. Yeah, that's fine. We'll get there. Uh, <laughs> the movie doesn't really. I'll get to some of that. I don't think the really movie really does anything interesting with the audience because I think that and it helps highlight my problems with the movie. So there's at the beginning, I love how the audience is so gung ho for the murder. Like it's kind of it's fun. It reminds me of Death Race 2000. It's this, this sort of like frothing masses who want their 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 bread and circuses. Like they want their their gladiatorial combat and they want the blood. And they're so detached from violent that this violence that they're like, eh, who cares? Like Bring them on in. Yeah, and they're told they're bad guys, and the state yes. has has created backstory. So now they just – they naturally don't feel guilty about it because they've been told why these people are bad, and now they just they just accept it. Yeah, and like when they're saying Maria Conchita Alonso uh, is guilty of, they were like – and she had three lovers for these years, like out of marriage. And I was like, wait, what is this future society? See, I like I like the idea that that's not even that uncommon and it's probably very normal, but it's that way that they're able to turn normal things into sound like by picking out 
phrases. They can take accurate things that probably 10 members of those people in the audience have had, you know, three lovers in the past week. And they're, and they're still the ones booing her for being a quote unquote whore because of just the way it was presented like that. That kind of hypocrisy happens like all those all those uh, politicians telling you to save it till they're till they're married when none of them did. Yeah, I like that sort of like fast moving world building and I wish there was some more of it actually. So the people in the audience are freaking out and they're, a lot of them are old. They're all white. A lot of them are old, which is funny and interesting. It's something we can talk about is the that these people were all probably what in their 40s or 50s when the downfall happened. So like these aren't the kids of a new generation getting super excited for the blood and not remembering like what things used to be. These are people that remember like going to Walmart and people being, you know, concerned about football concussions and like uh, seeing Will and Grace on TV. Like this is a generation that um, lived through all the stuff that we lived through and then the collapse happened in 2017 and then they just became vicious old people. I like the idea that that had nothing to do with those themes, but they there there were long days being an extra, and the the only people they could get was like, well, it's going to be hard hours. You're not going to get much food. You're not going to get paid much. Get to hang out with Richard Dawson all day, and only <laughs> old people were like, I am in. <laughs> get me to this extra set. I don't even think they knew that they weren't filming Family Feud. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> None of those were actors. Like, <laughs> hey, Family Feud has taken a turn, but Richard Dawson's here. I'm going to go with it. <laughs> They're still handing out the home game. It's fine. These don't seem like families. Why is that Japanese man on roller skates? We should talk about that this. So everyone talks about how this takes place in 2017. I was very disappointed in watching it. It does not. Uh, 2017 is when the uh, fascists take over. Yeah. And then it's it's basically two years later that the movie takes place. So uh, what we're seeing actually takes place in uh, 2019. Yeah. The collapse happens in 2017 and then the, the fascists take over after that. So um, we'll be recording on uh, Wax Cylinder, a 2019 episode. Yeah. So the opening crawl does talk about what happened in 2017. I think that's probably going to be dead on the nose. Yeah. Whether there's a running man in two years, I guess we'll see. Yeah. I, I would love to see an Amarosa hosted running man where, you know, death row inmates are put up against each other. It's just It just sounds like good, clean fun. You know what we're going to get though, right? What? You're going to get uh, – fuck, I was hoping I'd remember his name by the time I did the setup. Chachi? Who's, no, who's Joni? the guy? Who's the guy who looks like he's in Smash Mouth, but he's actually a cook? Oh, uh, Guy, guy Ferrer. Yeah, he's going to be the guy. <laughs> We're going to get Guy wow. Fieri for the real 2019 running man. Wow, that head splash was awesome, Sauce. Ah, really took off his head. What do you think? <laughs> hey, hey, now, you're an all-star. <laughs> hey, folks, while uh, they're setting up for the next round, I'm going to show you how to make some atomic nachos. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm also going to make a pizza pie. Okay. <laughs> he just gets very Italian. Yeah, he's a racist. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Um, him. Um... <laughs> 
the movie doesn't seem to care, be all that concerned with how the audience is perceiving this stuff until we get these like big splashes moments where all of a sudden like a woman says like that Ben Richards is one mean motherfucker, which is like a funny line. Yeah, I do. I do like the moments where the audience starts to decide that, oh, let's just support one of the reasons it's actually really clever. It's not a they start rooting for him as like an innocent man or a, or a, oh, never mind. He's a good guy. They just think now that he's going to win. He's the strongest. He's the most powerful. And they basically start rooting against all the boss level characters that were they were previously rooting for. So it's like the switch in loyalties happens instantaneously and they no longer want their previous heroes to survive or anything like that. They're just like, okay, now this guy's going to kill those guys because he's the best. Yeah. And that's a, that's a very clever switch. And it, so, and that's the. There's a couple things going on here. One, I agree with you that that's a good thing, and they actually try and find something interesting to do with that in um, the beginning, the end of the second act, when uh, Richard Dawson makes him a deal and basically says, like, "Hey, you can become a Slayer. Like, they already love you. Like, why don't you just join up with us?" Like, he's basically trying to co-opt his fame to make money. Yeah, uh, which is like a really interesting choice. I want to see how more people on the ground are feeling or like if they're good. So like them keeping Richards pure doesn't allow us a couple opportunities. And one of them is seeing Richards getting caught up in his own fame. Yeah. He has no time between rounds to like enjoy his fame or anything. He doesn't, he doesn't really react to his fame. So they're not rooting for him. You're right. It's, it's interesting that they're not rooting for him because he's innocent or whatever. They don't like the games or they, they like someone sticking it to the government, whatever. They're rooting for him because he's a really good murderer and he has good one-liners and he plays well to the camera. Yeah, so, so now way, all the all the other murderers they were just rooting for, they just are like, oh, he's the best one and we like rooting for the best. Because that's the, that's the whole thing when they're forcing the audience to be like, who do you think can kill these people the best? And the audience is like, oh, so many options that could kill him. Uh, I'm gonna, uh, I think this one could kill him the best. Yeah, and and like they, what they needed was uh, some way of Richards reacting to his fame because the fact that he doesn't react to it is just them kind of sidestepping the the idea that like when this is over, these people still want the running man. Yeah, they didn't learn like they 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 learned the very end that like oh you were manipulated this one time. These people didn't rise up and join the revolution. Like you don't see that old lady grabbing a guard's gun or something like. There's no, and it's uh, and it's relegated to the studio audience, so yeah. you don't. It doesn't have the scene where like it's constantly cutting back to five people watching at home to give you like a cross section of the television audience that is going to be the majority of the people affected by the show. It keeps it all the studio audience, so it feels really small in a way yeah. that like Death Race two thousand didn't. We know because they say it that there's millions of viewers. But all we ever see is the 300 people in the studio audience. Yeah. It's 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 weird. We're not seeing how people we, – we see the, peop, the 300 people in the studio audience and we see poor people in a big like throng back in like um, – Yeah, they, they're watching as like on that strip as people go into the, the game zone. So I have a problem with that. I have a fat problem with Richards is basically playing to the camera by dropping one-liners and that the movie doesn't seem to care about that. Like, you can't have it both ways. He that that like, is just a Arnold Schwarzenegger. We got Arnold. That guy can deliver a pun. Yeah. You can't You can't have the – so he, like, 
he, there's a really vicious scene with him in the chainsaw. And yeah, he's that's it's like yeah, just split. Yeah, yeah. He's like there's a, there's like three one liners like where someone says like, "Oh, but make my take my chainsaw, make it part of you." And then Arnold flips it around and goes, "Keep it." Yeah, then, you know, yeah. it's I never even considered that before, but that's a really good point that. Those one-liners were such a staple of the 80s action movie. They've been parodied about how they would say these one-liners to nobody except the the home audience or the theater audience. And here you have an opportunity where you could actually take those concept of one-liners and make it a part – there's a reason he's doing it as part of the story. Like he starts doing them more and more as he realizes he's becoming a star. And then you still get your cake and you can eat it too because you you still get the cheesy one-liners. But now they are – you know, in the world, they make sense. I mean they yeah. really didn't take that opportunity at all. So we're, we're burning through this pretty quickly. But I so now – so yeah. So now I'm fucking angry. This movie is <laughs> terrible. I'm right back to where I was when I was in high school. <laughs> But just with more nuance. Um, there's there's a kiss at the end of the movie. With Actually, so, be, so hold on. Before we get to the end, I want to talk about something that really does work in this movie. It's a really big part that we haven't discussed. And that's fucking Richard Dawson. Like he – as a, he's a evil, smarmy uh, game show dystopia, – dystopian game show host. And he plays it so well. He basically does kind of play himself. Uh, a more evil version, I assume, but there's not there's not too much of a difference between him and the Family Feud version that we probably saw at some point. That but was the joke is that is that he was actually kind of an asshole in real life. Yeah, um, but he like would he would be really sweet on camera with like little ladies and yeah. He but he, he d- yeah, he does a good job of like caring about the ratings, and even though he's playing a version of himself, he kills it. Like I would have loved to see him. And he's very natural. You know, that's that's a big move to take a game show host and try to put him in this world with Arnold Schwarzenegger and this crazy world. Like, I think you could say, oh, anyone could do that. That's a game show host. I don't know. If, I don't know if you could. And I could have easily seen him playing more evil CEOs. You know, I, I think he could have had a, a longer career as a probably a movie villain. He's not going to be like the dad who. You know, Alicia Silverstone comes home to and talks about her day. Um, <laughs> but, but although I guess he's not too far off of Dan Hedaya, so maybe. Yeah. Um, maybe. Uh, maybe that's why my brain went there. But uh, yeah, I think, I think he's just really, really good. All of his lines are good. His moments are good. I don't have any Richard Dawson complaints. Uh, I don't either. I think that he's really lovely in the movie. I think that he, he has a lot of great little character moments that help inform who he is and i think that he's a complex enough villain that and an interesting enough villain that like he doesn't need to have nuance like it's fun to watch him get murdered in the end even though his murder doesn't make sense for the movie at all like you remember when uh when uh in the middle of the games richard uh, ben richards goes i would never kill an unarmed man and then he murders richard dawson (laughs) Yeah. And somehow with that car that was before just used to launch people into the games, but now apparently can go murders people. murder people. Well, I don't know. I guess he's saying that all the people that are – that was such a weird ending because there's no one really in the game zone except at that very entry point and those people don't attack anyone. It's just kind of an empty city. 
So I assume he just wanders around the empty city. And the impression being that uh, everyone is going to kill him because they hate him. But no one really hates him, I guess. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird ending. So the kiss at the end of it feels like the kiss at the end of Man of This ain't no game. <laughs> this ain't no game. That, that was the best, like, 80s, like, song cue. <laughs> They're so on the nose. This ain't no game. <laughs> so you're doing, like, you're doing a Kenny Rogers thing? Or you Who sang like- it? Who sang the song? You're going to, I mean... I can guarantee you, you are going to, if you are listening to this episode right now, you either already heard it or about to hear it at the end of this episode, but that song is getting played. Uh, let's, let's, let's check it out. This ain't no game. This, listen, this isn't a game. <laughs> this ain't no game. This ain't no game. Um, I guarantee it's like a journey or a Kansas. This ain't no game. Running man. Kenny Rogers. Is it really? No. This ain't no, you know that one. Uh, Restless Heart by John Parr. Oh my god! So it's like no one that you know. Yeah. Are you sure it's that? I mean, you don't know the director. Well, it it sounds exactly like all of those bad '80s bands, but yeah, the first line of it is "This ain't no game." Yeah, I am listening to it right now. Uh, yeah, the <laughs> you are. <laughs> yeah. Do you mean by me singing? Yeah, I'm listening to it right now from your mouth voice. From um, <laughs> yeah, my like, mouth. Yeah, like hearing an angel sing, Aaron. It's like hearing an angel sing. But no, it's this just Aaron imitating no the voice game. of John Parr. But yeah, so the kiss at the end of the movie, it sort of reminds me of the kiss at, at the end of Man of Steel. And it enrages me in a similar way where the previous events, if they all led up to them having a subversive ending it could have fixed a lot of the movie. But this super happy kiss at the end of the movie that doesn't react to how much darkness the character just committed makes me mad. So I'm fine with uh, Superman killing Zod at the end of uh, Man of Steel. Like, I think that's like, I think it's a really like well-executed scene. Regardless of what you think about Superman killing, I think like in a vacuum, this character performing this action, he was forced at the end of his rope to commit this murder and and I am still furious and writing angry <laughs> comments on message boards. <laughs> As someone that doesn't give a shit about the Superman character and has just wanted a movie in another movie, I liked that scene. And then at the end of the movie, they totally undo all that darkness by having Superman just kiss Lois Lane and someone calls Superman hot. And there's something very fascistic about just smoothing over all that violence that was just committed and just giving someone carte blanche at the end of the movie to be like, yep, what you, what you did, did was was great. You know, keep on doing it. Uh, with the same thing with Ben Richards and that kiss. Like, he just commits a murder that he said he would never commit. <laughs> and then he... Um, he Off screen uh, Disney style, though. Yeah, Like, exactly. you go over there, it's an implied murder. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's a... It's a I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, um, so he is heroic like Batman. Yeah. (laughs) Um, nobody gave, did anybody give that movie shit for that? Um, probably because it's about fucking a comic book character in a movie. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure there's someone, someone writing angry letters to the head of DC. Uh, according to issue 17, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, actually, 
I will have you know. I love talking like this as someone that like knows Star Trek The Next Generation episode titles by heart. <laughs> <laughs> because if it's not about me, then they're the nerds. Oh, God. It's just that. Uh... Holy shit. Everyone shut up. How did I not mention that the first line of that John Parr song, this ain't no game, is also the fucking tagline for Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, I know, dude. That's what I was saying. This ain't no game. This ain't no game. I just thought you were talking about the song that ends the running man. You got (laughs) there like 20 minutes before me. That was not clear because I wasn't there. I wasn't there. So how was I supposed to enjoy that moment with you? If the show had a tagline, it would be this ain't no this ain't game. no podcast. <laughs> this ain't no podcast. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be so good. Uh, yeah, we should first of all, Zach, if you're listening, redesign our logo. Put that as the tagline. Second, uh, yeah, I couldn't enjoy it with you when you had your moment. I had my moment way after. Now I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, have your moment now, honey. This ain't no game. <laughs> it's just like Super Mario Brothers. This ain't no game. But this yes, ain't. Oh, I'm sorry. I was trying to do a dramatic pause to it. You know what? Go ahead. The moments passed. We had different moments. We came at different times, so to say. Oh, my God. We're just like um, the two characters from the movie The Lake House. Did they both have uh, orgasms at different times? I, I, I don't know. They're like fucking like. There's a mailbox and they fall in love by giving each other letters through time, through the mailbox. There's I don't believe that's mailbox. a real movie. Yeah. I think it's Keanu and Sandra Bullock. So, when you put the letter in there, can you see a portal? Because if not, I'm out. Yeah. It, the first the first 20 minutes of the movie is just Keanu staring into the mailbox going, whoa. <laughs> Let me ask you another question. If he was just to hold his hand in the mailbox and she opened it up in the different time, could he wave at her? <laughs> he can only honk a boob. Okay. That's the climax of the movie. <laughs> they should name that movie Time Wave. <laughs> <laughs> time Wave. It's pretty good. Yeah, but, and then you're like, oh, this is probably like a wave of time. But nope, it's about a wave through time. <laughs> <laughs> So we're not going. Keanu Reeves, Sandra Bullock, the time wave. The time wave. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> you you oh, are good. Man, why are we taking next week off? We're rolling. <laughs> you you're a good writer. Your hands are pretty. <laughs> oh. Welcome to the time wave. <laughs> so we're not rolling with our concept of time honk. <laughs> I was going to try to move past that. <laughs> try to move back. Mac time sexual assault. <laughs> I think it would be consensual. They're in love. I guess. Okay. Yeah. Like the wave, if she reaches in and waves back through time, it's like, you can get to second base right now. What if they discuss it like line by line in a letter beforehand? <laughs> I think so. A- after a couple like time haunts and time the waves. climax. Yeah. They're probably, yeah. The, 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 I can tell you what the climax is. <laughs> climax is Keanu Reeves putting his dick in that mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> why do we keep sending letters? This is way better. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, his neighbor goes out in the morning to get mail and he still just fucking his mailbox. <laughs> oh. Oh. Oh, all right, so mini episode on the lake house <laughs> in the bag. Three stars. <laughs> uh, time wave. So, uh, <laughs> time so wave. We, I think we finished this. Movie. It's coming rolling in. I don't know. What else did you like about this movie? So I really like Jesse Ventura in the movie. And I do too. One, the, one of the best, the, actually the best sequence in the movie is a fight against Jesse Ventura because they set up, because it establishes a bunch of shit at once and it's also entertaining to watch. So they set up this fake fight where Jesse Ventura, as a slayer, they really need Richard to just be officially dead. And they figure, like, why not just kill him now when, you know, the timing will be good. It'll really, like, um, break people's hearts. Uh, it'll work for the totalitarian aspects of it. Jesse Ventura fights a person that they digitally, like, Photoshop Ben Richards and Maria Crenchita Alonzo's face onto. Uh, to these two people, I should say. <laughs> not just one person with half their face on. Of, of Maria Conchita Lazo, one of Arnold. That would be a very ugly person. And basically has Jesse Ventura viciously murder them. Like, it's the best sequence in the movie. It's the, it's the most um, grisly violence. You're not used to seeing Arnold lose like this. It, it, especially in human form and as somebody that they've set up as the good guy for the whole movie. And Maria Conchita Lazo gets brutally murdered she has her neck snapped and then she's thrown like a rag doll across the arena and it makes arnold super mad in a way that's like he gives let, lets out like a pretty believable like no uh, what do you think of this fight I, I thought this fight scene was maybe the best scene in the movie yeah i thought it was really good um i love the way that it kind of ends with him getting his like head impaled on a spike and then um it kind of fades to Oh, this is not Arnold, but they're going to use this, and then they're going to go firebomb the you know the the game zone later, and they're like, we've had enough of we're gonna we're gonna give the people the death of the the hero since he's not going to take the deal. So yeah, I thought it was really good. I thought it was really brutal. More of those types of components where thought was put into, okay, how do we, how does this component work? They are at an impasse. How are they going to get out of that impasse? Like, there's a structure that's been in place before, but it still, like, kind of speaks a little bit sloppily to, then why did they ever let those other three people win last year? Like, the pieces don't fit together in a consistent, satisfying way. Do you think it's Do you think it's a sense of pride from Richard Dawson, like, you can't let anyone win? Or do you think that they, do you think that they were never going to win? That was just like, they put them in the locker room after a round and then toasted them and then said later that they won so that they said later that they won so that well no um, i think they at least shot them i think they at least shot them because the so the face replacing technology is they new. say that was the first time it was ever used it was new so the thing of them like waving on the beach with models i kind of i guess i kind of picture it in the world of the game is that they did legitimately win somehow without ever killing a hunter yeah um and then they're like, great, let's take all this video, let's do this stuff, let's celebrate. And then they killed them. And then even though they're three winners out of the course of the year, they just kept putting the body in that one room in the one building in the game zone. 
so that someone could could dramatically find them later. Um, it doesn't that, make any sense. That part's frustrating. But conceptually, it works really well. Also, what does but, the camera see during this sequence? Yeah, I don't know. But then it's, you know, but then it's like, okay, well, why, since everyone loved Ben Richards, why couldn't they do the same fucking thing there? Where he won and then they kill him after they, they're like, you won the game. Now let's get, like, it doesn't, the logic of how everything works and why they're making certain decisions is just not on display. That 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 scene is great. Why they're doing that or how it connects to their goals feels super messy. Yeah, I I don't I don't understand. Like that third act reveal would be more of a punch in the face if um, a they had set up the um, their face replacement technology thing a little bit better because it works really well for the one fight against Jesse Ventura, but it doesn't work well there. Also. Um, they apparently were using it earlier because of how they fake Arnold's footage, right? Well, no, no, that is just actually that's just really well edited. That's all really well edited. Like they're not changing anything; they just edit it to take out the parts where, uh, yeah. So that that is not a change. That is oh, just okay. re-edited. So he, but they still shoot that from a movie's perspective, which annoys me. It's not shot from yeah. a camera's perspective. It's, like it's from the same shots we saw earlier yeah, just annoying to me. um <laughs> you know what else is fucking weird about this movie the running man it's only it's an hour and 40 minute movie the running man game doesn't start till 40 minutes in i i i, for, I prison, forgot that. okay so the prison break let's talk about that a little bit it introduces us to yafet koto who is one of the great like character actors uh of the 80s and such and you know he's an alien and yeah he even got to be in a bond movie like he's he had like a fun career and not a lot of people know his name and yeah he's a he was a great actor um he might still be i think he's like a crazy pro trump person now but i don't know i thought he died like a crazy pro trump person i don't know he, so he's he's effectively dead to me um, oh, so Africa is in the movie. He basically gets introduced and he gets killed in the first round of the game. So, like, he does nothing in the movie. Uh, but this prison break, like, why why have them break out of a prison and then meet some members of the Resistance, not learn anything from the Resistance, and then when he meets up with them, he might as well be meeting them for the first time because they know of him through TV. Like, why why have this, like... It's for him to have, like, two buds that they can – so that they can have two other people in the game Why that they kill. Why don't they just kill. make it like, like it worked for the story of Jesus' crucifixion? Like, Jesus made some some friends up on the cross. Like, why can't he just make some friends yeah. while he's in the games? Yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not well so the, done. Uh, I'll t- and even – so actually, I actually want to talk about the prison scene because I think the prison scene is the movie in a microcosm. So there's – a scene of them going to break out of prison. They're all working together. They have to get down these um, radio wave. Uh, basically, they have to get down a radio wave fence because they all have collars on their neck. And if they go past the radio wave, their head explodes. So what happens? They have the radio waves. They think down. And then it turns out that's not <laughs> they the They don't case. think they have them down. Some, they, all but one guy knows that they're still up. And then one guy runs so the movie can have an exploding head. So that is exactly my point. That logically everyone's like clear. They, they're yelling at him not to run. There's no reason this guy is running. It's frustrating as an audience member when why is he still running towards this fucking fence? There's not that much distance with people telling him, and he knows what happens if he goes by this fence. So this is not a risk he wants to take. Uh, this is not like, I can make it, I can make it. No, you can't. That's why you haven't run past it before. 
So it's frustrating as an audience member because it's clear that all they want to do is have him run past the fence for his head to explode. It makes no fucking sense. It's not like they could have done a thing where they the guy ran to it and then someone turns it back on unexpectedly. They do the cool thing in the dumbest way possible. But at the end of the day, it's like, oh, that was cool. One of the guy's heads exploded. So you're frustrated with how you got there. But at the end of the day, you're like, okay, but yeah, I like That's the head exploding. That's a point. And I think it's a point that we can pretty much end the movie on. <laughs> Set. Yeah, because that that's how I feel about the movie. It's a lot of dumb stuff that doesn't work. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, oh, I like that when yeah, that happens. Yeah, like the dynamo guy getting electrocuted. We haven't talked about any of the Slayers in detail except for Jesse Ventura. We don't really need to, do we? No, I mean, they're, they're – no, mainly because we're kind of running a little short on time. But also because there's just – Dynamo's my favorite, except his dumb little car is a – Huge disadvantage that he needs to get rid of. <laughs> and uh, the fact that he uh, threatens to rape um, Maria Conchita Alonso until she electrocutes him. Yeah, that also was, you know, disappointing as a person yeah. for him, I think. <laughs> yeah, it just, it just, uh, you know, they, they, the Slayers are cool. They just don't do too much with them. And they're really just there for Arnold to do a pun based on whatever their weapon is. So, like, I have a problem with the Jim Brown cameo in that they set it up. And they have Jim Brown in some fucking office building watching, and it's not evidently clear. This is a poorly directed movie, a very poorly directed movie. It's not. You're ev- saying the director of the air up there couldn't pull this one together? <laughs> what, what was I saying? Yeah. Oh, the director's terrible. So he he sets up this Jim Brown thing that's going to be amazing, and then because you love Jim Brown, but like his the shots are really all that enticing because it's basically him sitting in an office building surrounded by people and you just think that's other people watching the games but you're like why is that dude with his business shirt unbuttoned and a weird like skunk stripe up the middle of his hair yeah even if you don't know if it's jim brown they're like he's sore thumbing right through that scene yeah exactly like why exactly why is this why do they keep returning to the single office building with no and there's no like wide shots of the building or anything so it just looks like it's just people watching the games at work it's so weird anyways um and then they keep setting it up in the same way there's no escalation when they keep coming back to him and then they come back to him and jim brown gets an awesome entrance and he he gets blown up or whatever it's like an okay little like cameo fight but like it's fucking jim brown and he gets one line like jim brown kicks so much ass and then he's like the just afterthought final boss of this movie just sucks yeah yeah they again just there wasn't enough care put into i don't even want to say the details like details that yeah they did not put the care into the details but they didn't put the care into the broad strokes of the game i think a good director i think a good director that ignored the plot and a good editor could have fixed this uh, yeah, so, uh, I, you know, my final thoughts would be, one, just a moment we didn't mention that Kurt Fuller is in this movie is like, but I do like that, like, in this universe, he basically kind of, I think it takes place as the same universe as Ghostbusters 2, because his character is exactly the same as his character in Ghostbusters 2, so I imagine that after he got fired from the mayor's office, eventually, when the revolution came, uh, he joined the Running Man TV show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Or in a shared universe, or his character in the Wayne's World, like he plays like a sort of like yeah. whiny bureaucrat that always like is is uh you know the boss said this has to happen. I lo- I love the idea that Kurt Fuller 
is just always part of a connected universe because he plays the same character in every movie. Yeah, and he's um, Doctor Who, but he just keeps getting the same face over and over again. Let's, let's map it out. Uh, yeah, so my final thoughts are, I feel like we were kind of harsh on this movie, and I want to underline, part of that is because... So I do like this movie. I do enjoy watching it. It's not one of my favorites. It's not a perfect movie. But we probably spent a lot of time criticizing it because on a concept level... And uh, there are hints of this, of like a masterpiece in here. There's yes. a lot of there's a lot of meat on the bone left over after this movie, and you're like, oh, you ate some of the fat, and you didn't like. This is the best part of the steak. You yeah. barely touched it, and that's it's always fun to watch. But when you're talking about it, it's less fun because it's it's like, oh, they could have done so much more with this, and they didn't. Again, it's a very enjoyable hundred minutes. Like you're not going to be bored. It's a, it's a kind of a. I think we've probably called other movies this before, but it's like a, it's a great. I'm, I'm hungover on a Saturday movie. It's perfect for that. There's not because there's nothing too, too meaty to get into. There's always something fun happening on screen, and there's a lot of really good moments. But at the end of the day, it, it is kind of a disappointment at what could have been. Yep, I, I agree. Is that especially compared? We were. That's the the advantage and the risk of these um, months where we're doing uh, comparisons between very similar movies. That I think Death Race two thousand. I think Death Race two thousand is um, manages its scope a little bit better, and it manages its sense of humor better, and I think it manages um, the excitement, the constant excitement of the games, and also modulating its pace a little bit better. This movie is for some reason really well regarded. Um, I think it's just because people love Arnold so much, but like, I don't know why this is so well regarded, but like, see, I, I, I feel like this was never really all that well regarded. I feel like I hear like it bros was, talking about how much they love. I Arnold. feel like it was, I feel, I feel like it was always mid tier Arnold and people have a lot of affection for mid tier Arnold, especially of this era, but I don't ever hear it like talked about in the same breath as a Terminator or a total recall. I think people like it more than Terminator. Uh, a lot of people like it more than Terminator because it's more like fun, like it's goofier and sillier, and there's more one-liners. Like Terminator is like a, a whole, it's essentially James Cameron admitted this. It's basically a slasher. It's like very grim to watch. All right, well, you know what we have to do here. You find people, I find people. Next episode, we get our people. <laughs> we figure out what people really think. Yeah, it's 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 hard to say, but I have heard people call this. They're like they're like, oh, that's that's awesome, Arnold. That's, that's Arnold being like campy and shit in the eighties. It's great. But, like, I guess everyone has their own favorite Arnold because these movies are on TV so much. I also called this movie awesome and I loved it, I think, introing this episode. And then I watched and I remembered that, oh, wait, I don't really. Like, I really like it. It's fine. It's fun. But in some ways, the, 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 way, the direction the movie didn't go outweighs the fun that can be had. Yep. I I agree entirely. I think that it's a really poorly directed movie. It's a poorly edited movie. And uh, ultimately, that really hurts um, its viability as a thrill ride. Yep. Uh, it's not that funny and it, it's not that thrilling, but it does have some goofy moments. It doesn't feel like a whole lot of other movies. So, like, if you like this sort of, like... Glam, Especially glam now. Disco, yes. This sort of, like, glam, disco, goofy, 80s um, action movie where, like, if there are thrills, they're all very diverse. If you like that, 
like come right in yeah and i think a lot of these movies we've talked about this in a previous episode they kind of build up a lot of cachet because they don't they don't make these types of movies they don't make 80s action movies anymore they don't make arnold movies quite like this anymore so they just a natural cachet building that happens where because at one point this was just like another arnold movie and so you could take it or leave it now it's like this is one of the only arnold movies that does this type of thing so i, I think that adds a lot to it but but yeah so this this has been future sport month uh, we've had a lot of fun doing it. Um, I will go to my grave upset that we didn't get a chance to do the 1998 movie starring Dean Kane, Future Sport. But I guess Peter wanted to hurt me and we didn't do that. But we did do we did do a lot of really great movies. So thank you so much for joining us. Next month, we're taking – so next week we're taking off. Peter's moving to San Diego to try to get as far away from me as possible. Uh, and also he just wants me to be able to yell even louder into the mic uh, when we record going forward. Uh, so, yeah, Peter, do you want to talk about your big move? You want to talk about your steps, your plans, your packing sitch? This is the last – this is the last in Chicago episode. This is my last in Chicago episode. I'm curious if because neither of us record in a professional space, if the podcast will sound different afterwards. Um, just because the space itself will be different. <laughs> There's going to be a lot less people probably in the background constantly yelling, Go Cubbies! The <laughs> Bears! Uh, That's been omnipresent in our podcast. I think it's going to go down. If not 100%, then significantly. There was... There was um, there were during the World Series when we were out to record on that one yeah. Tuesday where there was a lot of background noise of people because I have a bar um, in my uh, by my house and you can almost never hear anybody. Like while you're sleeping, you can't hear anybody. But like one day it was the World Series and they have outside TVs. So people were so loud. I Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Uh, um, I do think our podcast is going to change a little bit in that um, you're going to be recording at 7 and I'm going to be recording at 9. There's a good chance that I'm going to start sounding tired before you do. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to be – I think that might balance things out because usually I get tired way before you. That's because you're drinking beer. So, like, beer kind of tires you out after a little bit and I'm drinking uh, caffeine and hard liquor. That'll so, usually when we're done, yeah, I think that does it. But it'll, it'll even out now. Uh... Yeah, so, so, yeah, after our week off next week, uh, we're going to be back. With Rick Kelly, talk about uh, Nosferatu. Uh, we're doing Silent Horror Movie Month. Uh, no, so we're going to start with uh, the 19, I want to say 22, but I forgot to look it up. So we'll say 1922. It feels right. Uh, F.W. Bruno movie Nosferatu. Uh, and then we're going to be moving on to Haxon and the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And we have not... 100% nailed down which order that's going to be, but Hackson's going to be with Rick Kelly, and The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is going to be with Sam Scott. So Yeah, these are all you, movies that I love. So this will And be, I haven't seen Hackson, but I love the other two. This will be a very, uh, very interesting month to have to articulate things in a way that we normally can't because... Yeah. And the movies can't speak for themselves, so we're going to have to speak for them. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so thank you so much, guys, for the last Minneapolis Chicago co-production. Have a good night. Have a good night. This is no game. Standing in the dark, I swear I heard you calling my name. And I know things have changed. No pain, no gain. 
Peter, thank you for listening to We Love to Watch. Uh, I have a tiny penis, and I never know how to please a woman. Uh, if you want to reach out to us after the show, maybe give some feedback. I don't know. That's what I asked for, because I'm Peter, and I asked for feedback at the end of all these dumb episodes. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Email us. I don't know what our email address is, because I don't do my research. Oh, look at me. I'm Peter. We're also on Facebook. I don't know. Trying to find it there. I don't know. I'm Peter Moran. Peter Moran, driving to San Diego. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, thanks for listening so much. Uh, please validate me as a human being. I'm Peter. I'm Peter.